world is full of mysteries. And we're here to explore them all. Welcome to ABC Cryptozoology. ABC Cryptozoology. Welcome to ABC Cryptozoology. I can't believe we're already on our fifth episode, Anna, and we've already done our first episode of Campfire Tales. Isn't that crazy? Yep. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the Ibu Gogo, a small human-like creature which is said to live in the caves of the island of Flores in Indonesia. Uh, the really interesting thing about this one is that there may actually be some evidence of their existence. It's pretty crazy. Additionally, we've decided to move the interview up to this episode. So that's super exciting. Uh, we have our guests just waiting by here in a moment. Uh, we'll be getting to them. But before we get into that, let's talk about the weird news. And we definitely have some weird news this week. And both of them are about Bigfoot. First up, there's a report of a woman who was attacked by Bigfoot at Hyde Park in New York. The woman described the beast as being enormous, standing between six and seven feet tall. That's when the Bigfoot turned, saw her, and then charged her, blasting through bushes like they were nothing. Right before it ran into her, it jumped up into, into a tree above her, causing branches to break and fall on top of her. Unfortunately, the woman did not get any evidence of, of this happening besides her account. Whoa, that is definitely weird. Uh, speaking of Bigfoot, we have a story out of England about a teenage girl who's been pranking the locals. This is pretty funny. Uh, after purchasing a Bigfoot costume online, she convinced her mother to wear the costume so she could film a few clips and uh, share them on Facebook groups uh, about Bigfoot. And these were different groups from across the globe just to try to like really hammer it in there that this was real. Uh, needless to say, a large amount of people ended up believing this to be the best footage of Bigfoot around. And uh, she ended up coming forward and admitting the hoax after it just became too much to continue. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said I haven't thought about doing that before, but uh, I'd rather find the big guy himself uh, instead of cause even more confusion because there's a lot of there's a lot of like hoaxes and things out there that just unfortunately kind of hide away the potential real evidence out there. So either way, very funny. I applaud this person um, very much, uh, but, you know. I can understand why it made people upset. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Well, that's all the weird news for today. As always, you can learn more about the weird news of the week at our website at abcryptoshow.com. Now we would like to welcome our first ever guest to the show. This guest is making a cryptid-themed collectible card game called MetaZoo. So imagine Pokemon, but cryptids instead. The Kickstarter just went live this last Thursday, and it's already nearly 50% funded. Hello, Michael. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Michael Waddell. The Kickstarter went live about two days ago, so this Thursday, and we're, I think we're, we're approaching 4,000 or 40% of um, our funding, which is fantastic, right? That's only two, two and a half days, and we're doing okay. Um, so some background on me, I'm uh, 30 years old. I, uh, I live in New York City. I've been playing trading card games since the 90s. Um, I think first fell in love with Pokemon, and I think you can kind of tell that from the aesthetic of the game. I work in data science, but, you know, I also have a background in physics. So, um, you know, I kind of applied the same 
problem solving that I do in my day to day to coming up with really cool deck ideas and, and kind of cycling that back into the mechanics of the game. Yeah, you can definitely see the Pokemon inspiration in both the card design and the game design. Yeah, so Ken Sugimori, right? Um, I think he was the original Pokemon artist. His very distinct style. Um, none of it's digital, right? And, and so that's kind of the cool thing is um, I think much to the chagrin of, of a lot of our artists, we kind of insisted that um, the art be tr- traditionally done, right? So watercolors, um, colored pencils, and, you know, that also leaves behind a physical presence too, right? Like these, these pieces of art exist in the world and, and people will be able to actually look at the original art, which I think is, is pretty cool from a, a historical standpoint. So what is your favorite cryptid and why? <laughs> um, so it's going to sound uh, fairly basic, but um, probably Mothman and, and Injured Cold. So the, I, I, so I grew up in Brazil and we have um, a different style of cryptids. It's m- much more of a folklore, but um, they kind of serve the same purpose um, as like, not purpose, but the same, they have the same place in society that um, U.S. based cryptids have. Mm-hmm. And when I was 14, uh, a movie came out called The Mothman Prophecies. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> and it absolutely terrified me. Um, <laughs> and it, the reason why it terrified me is, you know, so, some of it was, was based off of the original story and the original book that was written by, um, I forgot the author's name, but um, the interaction between the main character and the Mothman and the main character and Injured Cold, um, it, it just, some something about it seemed so separate from uh, what I consider to be paranormal at that point that, like, I had no idea. So that, that introduction to the cryptid world and kind of how they were considered to be real, like, really resonated with me and really stuck with me through the years. So um, I'm going to say Mothman with Injured Cold because they still kind of, the, the idea of them terrifies me. Yeah, um, I can't wait for our podcast to get to um, letter M so we can talk about Mothman. Can you tell us more about MetaZoo? Uh, like, what's the gameplay like, et cetera? Sure, yeah. Um, so, mostly based uh, in the USA, right, the, these cryptids. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because, you know, eventually we want to expand to other sets, and, and there's so many cryptids in the world that yeah. it makes sense to kind of focus geographically, um, keep, it, you know, keep it somewhat contained, um, but then think about ways of, of integrating other areas, right? Hmm. Um, not unlike the region approach that Pokemon has. Um, there is something that really separates us, though, and that's the, the fourth wall mechanics. And the core mechanic of our game, in addition to having the standard spells and creature uh, turn-based events um, that you see in, in Magic and Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh!, is um, the power of your cards, so your cryptids, uh, your spells, your artifacts, it actually, they rely on and are affected by your surroundings, right? So that means if you have a, a water-based cryptid like Champ, um, if you are near a lake, then it gets a certain boost in its abilities, right? It does more damage or it gets more life, so on and so forth. If you're near a forest, then Bigfoot gains invisibility, which means um, he can't be attacked by you know physical attacks, 
Um, if you're by, if it's raining outside, then, you know, your water spells will, will do more damage. Um, so this is a really cool mechanic. And I think it makes sense in a cryptid based game because, you know, these things are supposed to exist out in the world. And so it makes sense that the world would have an impact on the, you know, the kind of the arena that you're playing in. Um, from a practical standpoint though, we have to balance that, right? Like if you're in Arizona and it's August and you can, you know, fry an egg on the top of your car uh, <laughs> and you want to run a, a, a frost or snow deck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to be able to. Um, so how do we balance that? How do we still make the game fun for people who, you know, they love a particular type of cryptid, but it doesn't make sense given their surroundings to play it. We have these things called uh, Terra cards and um, they, they're just cards that you can put into your deck that trigger fourth wall effects. Um, and you might say like, oh, then why do you need the fourth wall effects if you can just have the cards? Well, you, you know, by putting these cards in your deck, you get, uh, there's like a, a combinatorial disadvantage, right? Like if you want to play a certain pattern of cards um, and you have Terra, like basically if you have Terra in your deck, it makes it more difficult to play those particular combos, right? Um, so, I mean, like, there's, it's all balanced, basically. So, I know you've been doing playtesting. How has that been going? Great question. Um, so, I believe on June 15th, we opened up playtesting to our, what we call our alpha testers. We had um, over 400 people sign up, which was pretty cool. Um, we only let, I think, around 100 playtests, but... Um, you know, I created a website that allows them to see the cards, um, comment on the cards, build decks. Um, and I actually generate all the cards uh, using a program that I programmed in Python. And so what was really cool was when people gave me feedback about something that was broken or, you know, text that was misspelled, uh, which happens way more often than you'd think. Uh, <laughs> I was able to, to just update the data that went into the code and the website would update uh within five minutes oh that's cool yeah you know so they've been a huge help right um they really brought the game from something that lived almost entirely in my head into something that um you know well over 100 people have you know play tested and seen and it really prepped the game for for the kickstarter release so does your love for cryptozoology extend into any other paranormal fields? Yes. You know, not, not in an active way. Like I'm, so I'm a huge fan of, of ghosts and you know, what I would call, uh, or what is called creepy pasta. But, oh, yeah. um, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, that that's in, in it, I would say in a different genre, right. Mm-hmm. Um, ghosts, I would say are much more, related to cryptids and some cryptids are ghosts. Um, but yeah, I'm very much a proponent of the, like, I, so I actually believe in a lot of these things. I think ghosts are potentially more realistic than a lot of these cryptids. And I think in the, in the cryptid zoology, cryptozoology field, yeah, um, that's like a known thing. Like some of these cryptids are much more um, the result of, of mania or the result of just, you know, it's cool. Some of them even come from creepy, creepy pasta and actually aren't, you know, what we would classify as cryptids, but have yep. become kind of known uh, in, in the community to be cryptids, right? So, like, I think there's, like, a definition 
uh, ambiguity to the definition as to what constitutes cryptids and what doesn't. But I just I love the whole field, right? So, um, you know, in, in the second set, you know, hopefully we'll have one of those. Um, I actually want to focus on uh, yokai, right? So oh, yeah, they serve. Uh, I would say even a larger role, right, than cryptids do in our society. Um, they're deeply, deeply embedded into the the history of, of of Japan and the surrounding areas. Whereas I would say cryptids are very much a uh, in the U.S. kind of a an advent or a um, they really only started becoming popular and affecting culture in the past hundred years, right? I mean, you had. Mm-hmm fearsome critters from the 19th century, but um, pretty much, you know, I think that we're going to see a lot more in terms of cultural impact and hopefully MetaZoo can help facilitate that. Have you ever had a um, paranormal experience of your own? (laughs) So, yes. You know, I mentioned, you know, the Mothman prophecies and and one of the reasons why it resonated so much with me is because um, after that, you know, I started having these dreams where, you know, I would see the Mothman, see Andrew Cold, and I, you know, being a 13, 14 year old, um, I kind of defaulted to thinking that they are real. And, you know, there's, so in, in the paranormal com- community, I think there's this thing called like Morse code theory, where um, the idea of thinking about and talking about a certain thing can actually invite it uh, Maybe I shouldn't talk about this with, you, with your daughter. No, but, no, uh, it's fine. <laughs> um, you know, can, can, can actually be seen as an invitation or uh, help give the energy that would manifest these things. Um, and so, you know, that was my rationale, which is, yes, these things could be dreams, but, you know, I could also be kind of broadcasting out something that um, is attracting this, right? Um, seems like a, a plot from a horror film, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of things we don't understand about dreams and, and um, what goes into them. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've heard, uh, I've heard about that concept. Um, it seems plausible to me. I know there's a, there's stories out there of people who lucid dream and all kinds of weird things start happening in their dreams. So actually around the same time, I started trying to lucid dream myself hmm. and I had a, quite a bit of success um, until, you know, and this is, I would say this is the other big main experience I had until, you know, in these dreams, I, I kind of felt something following me around and, and seizing control of a dream that I was supposed to be kind of a hundred percent in control of. Um, and, you know, I ended up calling it the Sandman, but, um, I actually stopped lucid dreaming because it got to the point where when I would try to, I would just kind of have sleep paralysis and feel the presence of this thing just like in my room um so that (laughs) that was probably the 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 scarier of the two because it i was conscious during it you know yeah that sounds pretty terrifying uh my wife when she was pregnant with our um daughter anna here she actually had some sleep paralysis as well and she would wake up just in a panic because she couldn't move and as she said, it felt like something was holding her down. So I, uh, I can understand, I guess, through her. <laughs> All right. So I know you're a busy man, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. Um, are there any last things you want to let our audience know about your Kickstarter? Yeah. So um, 
you know, first of all, thanks for listening. Thanks for the opportunity for the interview. Um, the Kickstarter has massively, massively discounted uh, booster boxes, right? So every booster box has 36 booster packs in it, um, three different types of pack arts, um, holographic cards, very much done in the vintage Pokemon style. Uh, our printer is, is the same printer that Hasbro has. So, um, you know, the card quality will be great. If you like cryptids, if you like card games, if you like vintage Pokemon, um, you know, I think th- this game, like the, the barrier to entry is, is very low if you want to collect and if you want to play. Um, and the community is growing. So I think it'll be, it's, it's something worth investing time and energy into, I think. Oh, you know what? I have one last question. What is the meaning behind the name for your game? Yeah. So in MetaZoo, right? Um, we mentioned kind of the fourth wall effects. Um, usually in a card game, when people talk about the meta, it's, it's things that exist outside of the, uh, the gameplay mm-hmm. um, that affect the gameplay. So things like if the cards are too expensive or um, difficult to obtain or if they're event-based and, and you know, things that I don't necessarily want to mention, but like the politics that can surround the game as well. Um, and so obviously we have fourth wall effects that impact the, the gameplay. Um, so that's where the meta came from. And then zoo, we didn't want to do anything that was specific to cryptid. So zoo was kind of a catch all for yokai and, and cryptids yeah. and uh, you know, other folklore based creatures. And so yeah, meta zoo, it, it's, it's a little weird, but I think it'll stick. And when you do uh, searches on a search engine, it's it's pretty unique. So, All right. Well, thank you again, Michael. It was a pleasure having you on and getting to know a bit about you and MetaZoo. Can't wait for the game to come out so we can get a chance to play while on expeditions. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the game and meet your daughter and meet you. And um, Yeah. You can learn more about MetaZoo by going to metazoogames.com. And uh, you can also, there's links to the Kickstarter on there as well. And we'll be putting up Kickstarter links on our website uh, for, the sh- for the game as well. So thank you again, Michael. Well, it's time to talk about the Ibugogo. So take it away, Anna. Season 1, Episode 5. E is for Ibugogo. There's a legend out of Indonesia that a race of small human-like creatures once inhabited the island of Flores. It is said that they were no more than a meter tall, had ears that stuck out from their heads almost like an elf or leprechaun. They were incredibly fast, very nimble, and great hunters. In fact, they would hunt the local fauna of the island, miniature elephants and dragons that spit poison. Yes, you heard that correctly. They were perfectly adapted for this strange land. That is until they met the new settlers of the island, the Nage people. It seems their coexistence wasn't all that peaceful. There are tales that the Ibugogo would lure and possibly kidnap children in hopes of learning from them how to cook. The children would easily escape the Ibugogo and run back to the village terrified. Additionally, when the villagers would have run-ins with the Ibugogo, they were said to murmur an unrecognizable language. And if one of the villagers tried to talk to the Ibugogo, they would respond with the same words back almost like a parrot does. All of this led to one final encounter with the Ibugogo around 300 years ago. The story goes that the Nage villagers, 
who have lived on the island of Flores for many years, tricked the Ibugogo into taking offerings from them of dry palm fibers, telling the Ibugogo they could make clothes with it. As the Ibugogo went back into their caves, the Nage villagers set the fibers on fire, killing all but maybe a few of them. It was expected that the possible survivors died in the wilderness after that, since no sightings had occurred. This is a tale that would be told to children, so for many it seemed like just a wonderful fairy tale. That is until 2003, when a team working on the island of Flores made a discovery that would change everything. The team discovered fossil remains of a creature that stood on two legs and was around a meter tall. It was thought that these remains were likely from around 80,000 years ago, and it seemed unique to the island of Flores. It would be given the nickname of the Hobbit, and the scientific name of Homo florensensis, a new and distant cousin of the human. Not only that, but evidence of tool construction was discovered as well. This obviously led to the question, was this the Ibugogo talked about in Tales? It seemed that, at this point, there may have actually been some solid proof of the existence of these small people. But from what they could tell, they may have died out as long as 10,000 years ago, which still was shocking as it was believed that there were no other humanoids on Earth besides Homo sapiens during this time. Which then leaves one very big question. How could the villagers have seen them as recent as 300 years ago? All right, so the Evo Gogo. Very interesting, right? Yes. I think that it's cute. Really cute. Just some cute little people. Just some cute little elf people. They were they're super good hunters. Yeah. Um and it said that it was like they were really fast. Yeah, super like fast. Like, yep, very very I mean, uh, if they're tiny. They can they're f- Well, that's not true well, necessarily. Yeah. I'm faster than you and you're smaller than me. <laughs> yeah. <You laughs> I'm also like older and you and run stronger. like the wind. Run like the wind. <laughs> um yeah, so they're good hunters, they're fast, they're small stature people. Um, I think the interesting thing to me, one of the weirder things that we kind of talked about real quick was the idea of these miniature elephants living on this island with them. I'm and wondering about the elephants. How small were they? They were apparently like almost their height. Oh Just my. some little three-foot-tall elephants running around, maybe a little bit bigger than that. Yeah. Oh. Unlike the, like, ten-foot giants that are out. Well, maybe not ten feet, but, you know. Like, I think I think elephants were from the dinosaur times. You think dinosaurs? They, were, they were, used to be dinosaurs? Yes. Well, woolly mammoths lived in the during the Ice Age. Yeah. And we lived alongside woolly mammoths, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I don't know if they existed during dinosaur days, but maybe... Uh, I mean, they got kind of the skin of the of the dinosaur, and they look like the woolly mammoth. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I can put dinosaur and woolly mammoth together. That makes an elephant. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that works. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> and then they also talked about a dragon that spit poison. That sounds scary. That sounds terrifying. Uh, apparently, the poison was made of things like anthrax, which is just the like one of the most poisonous things in the world. Oh. So if that stuff touched you, you'd be like, I'm dead. Um, oh. 
And just the thoughts, the thought of like a dragon running around with them, spitting poison at them, and they're hunting these things. Like these guys are pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, they're. I mean, they are running from a dragon that yeah. spits acid that can kill you in like one millisecond. Yeah. Now, Komodo dragons have poison. They're poisonous. Yeah. And if they bite you, you just slowly die, basically. Yeah. And it's so possible it could have been that. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of like mm-hmm. a dragon. Yeah. It's a Komodo dragon. That's right. It's, it's a very large lizard. And yes. back then, telling tales about, you know, dragons and stuff, I could imagine a Komodo dragon being confused as one. Yeah. So one of the interesting things to me about all this is that uh, the cave where the skeleton was found, the of Homo floresiensis, um, was the Liang Bua Cave. And that's a nice, that's a nice it was, cave. Yeah, it's a really cool name. I like it. If you see pictures of it online, and we'll try to get a picture of it online on, on the website. On um, the website. It's just enormous. It's this huge, towering cave. I think I saw it, like a picture of it, like like when you like... Were researching? Yeah, yeah. and I saw like the people that were like... like Excavating it, yeah. yeah yep. And then, like, there was, like, it was just huge. The people looked like ants. Yeah, yeah. Like, they were just little ants. Well, maybe not quite that small, but yeah, exactly. They it, were, it was big. See, there was, like, you know, the big ants that are at our place. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Like, they were, like, that big. <laughs> yeah. um, now, now, here's what's even more interesting about all that is that there's a group of pygmy people called the Rampasasa um, that live right outside, like, really close to the cave. And they're convinced that they're actually, like, their ancestry is tied to this cave. Oh. The the even more interesting part about these people, the pygmy people, was that they are actually smaller in stature as well. So they're smaller people. Huh. And so it's been thought that maybe, very possibly, that the um, the these are direct relatives or descendants of the Ibu Gogo. Ibu Gogo, I like yeah. that name. Yeah. I keep saying that. I yeah. just—it's too cute. It's a good name. Um, it, after the discovery of the Ibu Gogo, well, of uh, the the Homo floresiensis uh, skeleton. I said that word with no yeah, problem. I, know. <laughs> I have trouble saying it. Um, Latin is—I'm not good with Latin. Uh, they they went out and actually had <laughs> with a with a translator asked the Rampasasa people to uh, spit, like to provide spit samples. So that way they could try to, once they are able to maybe at some point actually get DNA from the skeleton, see if they can link the lineage to these people. That's cool. Yeah. And the, the, the people were very excited to participate. They were like, yeah, let's do this. Like, cause they want to know more about their history. They don't have any written history ab- about, who they are or why they're there at all. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, like, they could be ancestors. They could be descendants. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, and also, on top of that, if they are, in fact, descendants and they have no written he- records or, or any sort of history, you know, record uh, way of recording their past, um, it might be because it was all set on fire by the villagers, the Nage villagers, 300-some years ago. Yeah. And it destroyed any possible evidence of their history and which is super sad right i like, know why did they do that to these 
little people that just wanted to know how to cook. Yeah, well, you know, I These mean... These little, little people. I mean, I get why they, the children were scared. They mm. were little, tiny people that spoke a different language and kind of kidnapped them. Yeah. And so, the like, the mom and dad got mad, mm. and they tripped, tricked them. But I still don't get it. Yeah. Why? Well, why? You know, this is... Uh, a problem still in today's society for a lot of things. So it's it's just you know, I'd hate to say it's human nature, but maybe <sighs> maybe it is. I don't know. Um, we humans destroy everything. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, yeah. I mean it's it's real interesting to me. It's just this island in general is filled with all kinds of mysteries, like you know these small elephants, and even uh, there's. Tales of mini hippos as well. Could you imagine like a little mini hippo? You just got your little. I'm I'm just taking my little mini hippo for a walk. My little mini hippo. <laughs> I like a little mini hippo. That's right. Um, and there was also things like, um, giant rats. That, but those actually still exist on the island. The guy says it's the size of my cat. Oh, that's yeah. big. Yeah. Eee, rats are usually. Tinier yeah, than the they, size and they of the have cat. rats on that island that are the size of a like a cat. Uh, <laughs> right, that's horrible. So many germs and <laughs> bad stuff that makes you sick. Mm-hmm. I don't now, like. Now here's the the tricky thing, right? About uh, about the Ibogogo skeleton, whether or not it's really the Ibogogo skeleton. But we'll just call it that for the sake of ease, because I can't speak any more Latin. I've used up my Latin ability. I haven't. Uh, ability I haven't. Good, you can say it for me. Um, <laughs> there's no solid proof that this is, in fact, not a Homo sapien skeleton yet because of the DN- the lack of DNA they've been able to recover from it. Um, with that said... Uh, based on the scale and everything, it's hard to imagine it not being, not to mention that they've found traces in other parts of the world of these quote-unquote hobbit-like um, humanoids. Uh, so so it's hard to, you know, I guess it's it's hard to make a case for or against this at this point. Yet, a lot of people still make their case, and a lot of people don't believe that this is a brand new um, break-off from the Homo sapien tree, you know? Yeah. Yeah, very interesting, the whole thing. Uh, I, I know recently they tried to do a reconstruction of what the Ibugogo, or what the, sorry, Homo floresiensis looked like. I did it. You did it. Thanks. You did it. You did that <laughs> Yeah, uh, what, what it, they look like, and um, it's very interesting. Um, there's pictures out there. I'll see if I can get one of those up on the website as well so people can yeah. see that. I uh, mean... When I saw the picture of, like, the face the in the case, yep. I was like, <laughs> I was like, no. They kind of had I'm, big eyes. Big eyes. Yeah. like And, like, they were like, oh, I got humongous eyes, and I'm a tiny little dude. Yeah. <laughs> part, part of the, the other part of the tale about the Ibugogo specifically is they were given that name because apparently there's a translation in which it means, like, Gluttonous uh, grandma. Gluttonous grandma. <laughs> yeah, and they would they named it this way because apparently um, 
there's rumors of the Ibogogo being cannibals and maybe eating people. Oh. And but none of that's ever been confirmed, obviously, because uh, that was like a hundred. That was just a thousand. story told, and I think it was probably a story told to scare the children so they wouldn't go off and wander off with the Ibogogo back then. Um, assuming any of these tales were true, right? I don't think that they just wanted to know how to cook. Yeah, or they just or wanted just, to know how to cook. They probably. So my theory is they saw the children and were like, oh. You're like us. You're just, you know, you're you must be Bill Gogos also because you're small people. And they were like, but you're just like, a little taller. Yeah, hmm, so then that's okay. Well, I think a lot of the children are about their height. Yeah. Right. So it was like, oh yeah, come with us. Like, come teach us your ways too, because you guys are clearly have some advanced knowledge on us about whatever that is you're wearing on your body and all these delicious things you're maybe cooking or whatever. We want to learn. Yeah. But they had a language barrier, and so they couldn't actually talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, besides making murmuring sounds and, and mimicking uh, the same words back to each other, you know, back and forth. Which, also, the fact that these people could mimic their sounds... So was, well was is really impressive. That's incredible. Yeah. Like they're just like the human talks and then the other person talks. Like they're yeah. just learning from the human. Yeah. Very, <laughs> they're very like, crazy. Like I like the human says hello, the the other one says hello. Yeah, yeah. And I, then it's nuts, right? Like it's like it's like a little copy machine. Like <laughs> I yeah. am a little Ibu Go Go and I will copy you because I think I'm learning. Yay. Mm-hmm. And I can act like the children, so I can become kind of like you guys. So I know more stuff, and we can make our cave better. They just, <laughs> they just want, they just want to know stuff. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, I'm I think. So sad. Right. I know. It's just Why? they seem like they're probably relatively friendly, from what we can tell. But it is what it is. Yeah. All right, so I guess it's probably time uh, for the recap. Um, do you want to start it off? Um, sure. So the Ibogogo lived possibly as recent as 300 years ago. Yep, and uh, they had a seemingly their own language, and they could mimic other people's languages. Which is which amazing. Is, which is amazing, for sure. Um. They would kidnap children to learn how to cook. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you can say this one because I don't Okay, know. okay, okay, okay. Um, you didn't even spell it wrong. I, okay. I'm pretty no, sure no, no, no. I spelled it right. I, I know, but the first time you uh, were yeah, like... It's okay. Okay, so they may be related to the Homo floresensis. Oh, you got so it wrong this time. Homo floresensis. Floresensis. I, st- I still said it wrong. It's, it's tricky. <laughs> it's a tricky word. I don't even know how I said it the first time. Yeah. Um, the pygmy people, uh, uh, what's their names? The uh, Rampasasa uh, people who, who live out there still um, may be related to the Ibogogo. Uh, and let's see. What else have we learned? The... We, the- the, um, hmm. Uh-huh. The cave? Yeah, the cave. The Liangpua cave? Wait, what? I like that word. Was that what it was called? I don't know. Liang. 
I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now providing you all with wrong uh, information, probably. It's Liang, probably because I think of the Latin words. It, yeah, probably. Liang Bua Cave, that I is. Like, I like Liang Bua. I can make a little sound about that. I like that. it. It's good. Liang Bua Cave. Uh, bua, bua, bua. The Ibugogo were great hunters. They were fast. And they, were also, and they also had cute names. <laughs> they had cute names. Uh, and they hunted... Tiny elephants and dragons that spit poison, like acid, anthrax, all kinds of horrible stuff. (sighs) They are super dragons, apparently. Um, And these little dudes can hunt them down. Yeah, big dragons. They knew how to hunt them. They were great hunters, that's for sure. Uh, and it's possible, like you we said, you know, that uh, the Rampasasa are related to them. We're hopefully going to find out in the future if we're able to get some solid samples from the Homo floresiensis bones. Floresiensis bones. There you go. You got it. Um, and I think that's kind of the the bulk of it. Uh, the, the rumor is that the Homo floresiensis lived... Or between 190,000 years old, Eey, that's or, or, or 190,000 years ago, and and upwards of 50,000 years ago. This doesn't explain the Ibugogo unless the Ibugogo were like direct uh, descendants of this these people of the Homo floresiensis. Yeah, and possibly the same people. Whatever. It's hard to tell, right? Like it's very. We'll never. We we might never know, or we might know. Soon, once uh, te- once like technology and stuff like that uh, accelerates and yep. is better, like, I guess. Yeah, we need we need to go into more years and see what they make. <laughs> yeah, see right. what they Let's make. Go into the future and find out. If go we, into the if future, just for that reason. Yep, yep, yep. Just for that reason, I need to see if the if the people are kind of related to the Ibugogo. Yep. Because I will be like, yes, more evil <laughs> Gilgos live. That's right. I would love to see that. All right. Well, um, our next episode is about the Flatwoods monster, which is one of my favorite cryptids. It's a real weird one, Anna. I can't wait I've for you. I've seen it. It has a leaf head. You've seen the picture, but you don't know the story yet. I didn't know the story. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen the picture. It has a little leaf head, and it's mm-hmm. like it's like in like a dress. Yeah, yeah. It's it's real weird. Apparently, it's a leaf in a dress. The the way that the people described it was that it seemed like it might have been on like a hovercraft. Oh, like a hoverboard? Because it, it was floating in the air. So, That's scary. Yeah. It's, like, I've seen the pictures, and there were, like, two and, people, and then it was floating. And it was glowing, and it was yeah. in the forest, just glowing out there, just looking back at them, and they were all freaked out. There was a kid, there was a, an older lady, like, there was a lot of, there was quite a few uh, yeah. people who saw this thing, and then the military got involved, too. There's mm-hmm. the big story. I can't it's wait for you to hear it. It's a big story. I don't even know it, but I'm just saying, it's a big story. I know. Dun, just dun, wait. Dun, dun. We're going to learn all about it in the next couple of days so we can actually record this episode. Yay. I need, uh, I am going to come down when you are researching uh-huh. about the Flatwood Monster because Good. I need to see that li- that dude. He's tall mm-hmm. and he's floating. Yep. What if he went back into time and got a hoverboard and hid it under his dress thingy? Went back in, you mean went into the future and then came back? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. That'd maybe. Be, maybe he, he maybe he's Marty McFly from Back to the Future. 
Yes, that's... Dressed up weird. That's epic. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, because in the movies, like, he, he, like, he could keep the hoverboard, uh-huh. and he's just floating on it now, yep. just, just trying to freak people out. Yep. He's like, I'm just, from the future. That's just the outfits of the future, and, and we just didn't realize it, so... We just don't realize it, and we're just all freaked out about <laughs> yeah. it. All right, all right, we're going on a tangent there. Um, <laughs> so, uh, just recently, we added a goal to our Patreon sites, so uh, basically, we're going to try to start building our YouTube channel and yeah. present soon. Um, I'm so excited. We're going to go ghost hunting yeah, and searching for the we'll probably, monsters. <laughs> we're going to do a few things on there. We're going to try to do things like ghost hunts and, you know. Exciting stuff. Yeah. It might, we might actually do some live streams, too. Yeah, probably. Maybe, yeah. Um, at some point. At um, some point. We've got adventures and expeditions to do. I also have been toying around with the idea of like top five type videos because I feel like that would actually fit this pretty well. Um, But before we can do that, we obviously uh, need things like intros and all kinds of stuff like that. We need intros. We need stuff to talk about. Well, yeah, there's going to be that for sure. But but more importantly, it costs time and money to make the intros for the show and yeah. ideally we want to make some nice animated stuff a lot of and the things YouTuber- like that. Yeah, a lot of the YouTubers have used like two million dollars on YouTube channels. Yeah, probably. Like I, just well, we intros don't, yeah. and stuff like that and like I don't think editing. they've spent two million dollars well, on that. It's still, they spend a lot of money they on do, it They do, they do. And you know, and the reason for that is because they want it to look professional and look nice, right? They probably use, like, so, 2K. I don't know. So we set up a goal on our Patreon um, to, in case you want to help us reach uh, some, you know, accelerating this this ability to build these, uh, our YouTube presence. Um, so yeah. if you have enjoyed what you've been hearing, uh, please consider checking out the Patreon over at patreon.com slash ABC. R-Y-P. A-B-C, R-Y-P, yeah. Yep, that's right. I was going to do R-I-P, like rest in peace, but I was like, uh, no, mm. nobody will understand that. So I just said A-B-C, R-Y-P, because it sounded like A-B-C, R-Y-P. cryptozoology. Uh, all right, going off on a tangent again. <laughs> all right, everyone, thank you so much for listening. A-B-C, you around. A-B-C, cryptozoology.